Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Scott Corelli, and today we'll be talking about Minute 121, which begins with an exploding grenade and ends with flames belching into an elevator shaft. That's right, folks. That's Scott Corelli back again from uh, a zillion podcasts. I was about to start naming them all. Let's see. Back to the Future Minute, Cornetto Minute. Uh, what else? What else you got, Scott? Spider-Man Minute, The Doctor's uh, Companion. Uh, I've got a Runaways After Show now, so... <laughs> Jeez. Hey, dude, you should do some more stuff, man. Like, why are you wasting your life uh, just I'm lazing about? about? I'm thinking about really starting to get into this podcasting thing. Yeah, you're just getting warmed up. I, I yeah. can see. Yeah. Cool. And also to, with us this week is a musician, composer, violinist, Chrysanthi Tan. Thanks for joining us, Chrysanthi. It's my pleasure. I'm trying not to laugh at the belching. I, that's all I can think about now, the flames <laughs> belching. They are they are belching. I mean, I think that's a good one. I think yeah. that's accurate, right? <laughs> it is. It is accurate, but I never would have thought of that until now. Yeah. Huh. Well, you know, try to when you write like hundreds of these little intros, you start to try to think of variations on how to say, especially with a movie like Aliens, where flames are flying out in every single minute for like forty-five minutes straight. <laughs> You're like, let's come up with variations on how to describe that. So yeah. And I think it's I think it's accurate because the elevator shaft is sort of like an esophagus, yeah, I guess. Sure. Oh my gosh! Well, yes. hey, let's let's save it, Scott. That's for the end of the minute. Um, All right. But in the meantime, we have a big, uh, fiery opening to the minute, right? Uh, uh, Ripley has just thrown a belt full of grenades into a fire, which I described last week as perhaps the most reckless act she's committed in the movie with a child nearby. Um, mm. Just throwing a belt of grenades into a fire. Now, last week I had George Hendricks on and uh, Todd Norris on for a couple of days as well. And I, I guess I was I probably have angered some people on online by uh, criticizing Ripley's behavior in this uh, last few minutes as being a little bit reckless. But what do you guys think about her choice to not just back out of the room and leave, but to set it on fire and blow it up? Well, I think... She, I think perhaps it maybe isn't the right choice. Or I don't think it is the same choice that she would have made if she were looking at this from a distance, from our perspective. Um, but when you're in the moment like that, you can't really, you know, are you always going to make the best choice? No, that would also be boring and fake. You know, you're going to have to do some emotional, some rash things that, you know, aren't sure. You know, I'm just saying, if I were in that situation, I can't be held responsible for anything that I do. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. I, we talked about it. We just kind of got into the psychology of Ripley a little bit and thought, you know, if you had gone through everything you'd gone through, if you were Ripley, you might want to just, and you were like armed to the teeth at the moment with the, an alien queen that's producing more and more of the things that have terrorized you for so long, you might just want to take it all out. Um, but, you know, she's been so maternal, so protective of Newt up to now. That's where I, I think it's because I'm a parent. Maybe I'm going like, how could she do this with that child right there? Um, and right at the beginning of the minute here, we get like a spray of shrapnel coming through and her having to protect Newt from it already. I'm like, man, you see, it's a little reckless, but you're right in the moment. And, and of course, as a movie character, the choice is clear, get catharsis, get, do something satisfying for the audience, you know? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Although it's funny you mentioned the thing about the child because I don't know that's I don't know how much I bought that relationship. I'm, I'm just gonna say mm. 
Oh, that's good. No, it's interesting. I was going to mention it up front or thought about maybe mentioning it at the end of the episode, but maybe now's the time to uh, tell the audience your background with the Alien franchise. Uh, you're pretty new to it, right? I'm pretty new to it. I mean, I didn't see... I didn't see Alien and Aliens until, you know, several years ago. And then I definitely needed a refresher. Um, I mean, it came out before I was born and I didn't, yeah, I just didn't watch it as a kid. It just wasn't something I ever did. Um, so coming at it from an adult perspective, um, I'm probably more critical of things that I wouldn't have been if I grew up with it. And I know it's the same thing with Star Wars. I grew up with Star Wars, so it's fair enough when newbies have criticisms of things that I'm just used to. Yeah, it's such a different perspective when you're fairly new to it, or like you said, like you watch it as an adult. Watch something, Watching something as an adult the first time, like I know, I don't know how many times I've heard this story about Goonies, for instance. Like Same. people love Goonies. Oh, I loved Goonies. I still love it. And then people that watch this and don't hate it, <laughs> and it's like I that. Yeah, understand. I mean, I don't understand it. Yeah, no, I don't get it. And I don't also don't get the Princess Bride, which I watched when I was nineteen, which was too late. Eighteen. Oh, yeah. that's an interesting one. <laughs> that's a new one. <laughs> I've I've heard the Princess Bride one brought up before in the same vein as Goonies because like I'm I I can't stand the Goonies I think it's an awful movie um and and uh but the Princess Bride I was basically raised on so yeah <laughs> I don't know see I think I love the Princess Bride from an uh, an objective you know critical standpoint I've seen it I did see it when I was pretty young but I watched it a lot as an adult and, and like since I've been to film school and stuff I think it's brilliant. Goonies I watched as a kid, and I guess I liked it as a kid. I definitely loved the idea of it. And then watching it as an adult, I hate it. So I don't carry any nostalgia for that movie because they're shrieking too much for me to get nostalgic. Too much screaming kids. I can't I can't settle into enjoying anything when there's 15 kids talking over each other for two hours. But with Alien, you know, everybody has their point of view. Um some have seen Alien first. Some have seen Aliens first. Some have even seen Alien Resurrection first. And, I actually you know, saw Prometheus first. And you and then some people have seen Prometheus first, which is <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah. So you actually got the origin story first. You're actually watching it in chronological, almost chronological order, I guess. Um, yep. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. So, so then your everyone's point of view on Ripley is going to be a little bit different. I think you know, for me, this is my origin with Ripley is Aliens. So everything she's doing makes sense to me up to the point where I started talking about it minute by minute, and I come to these points, you know, uh, where I feel like she's acting a little recklessly here, though I do understand it from a critical standpoint. Now, you not, Chrysanthi, you not understanding the new Ripley relationship is very interesting to me. Um, I suppose I've heard that a couple of times from people, but I don't think anybody on the show has said that. So what is it exactly about the relationship? You just don't buy it, or is there something in particular that doesn't jibe with you? Well, Newt in, Newt in general doesn't, doesn't jibe with me. Um, part of it, I think, might be the acting and the direction of her. Um, also, that was her only film, right? Yep. Carrie Han? Yeah. I mean, not saying that. that anyway, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, I've, in my notes, I wrote, this scene is the best acting we've, se- we've seen from Carrie Ann in the whole film. Um, but <laughs> that's kind of harsh. Um, you know, I, I just remember when the first time I watched Aliens, I was just super surprised when 
she called her mommy. I was just like, whoa. Yeah. I don't know if I was prepared for that, which comes later, but yeah. There was a lot more of that in the script too, by the way. We've talked about that on the show already. The, the original script had her saying it a lot through the whole movie. Like even going, mommy, I mean Ripley at one point, you know, which is really cr- crazy bad. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, Scott, I think even you, we've talked about this with you on the show uh, previously, this idea of um, maybe not relying too much on the maternal relationship as being the basis of Ripley and Newt's bond as much as the survivor, um, shared survivor experience, survivor trauma as being their connection, which I've loved more and more that theory as we've gone along. Chrysanthi, did you get that at all? Did you think about, did that strike you at all? Or is it just that maybe a performance thing that you couldn't connect? It wasn't just the performance. I also think um, perhaps it was a writer or directorial choice maybe from the eighties or something to try to make, I mean, to try to make Ripley a more maternal character Mm -hmm. to try to, you know, be like, look, she's, we can portray a female action hero as this badass, total badass, but we have to make sure that we give her some mother instinct and we have to make sure that, you know, we see her with a child. I don't know. I just wonder if that was also part of it. Just as far as you not, you don't, you think that's a little bit too trite Perhaps, like I think it's contrived a little, con- little contrived, contrived sort of like let's sure. let's you know if they're not if they're not going to give her a love story you know what else are you going to do with a woman in a film you might as well mm. you know kind of give her a quote unquote womanly edge. I, I definitely think it's something that I, and I mean I don't it just just you know me looking at this film. Uh, you know, obviously from the outside, um, not knowing exactly how James Cameron came into this, but it seems like he thought of the idea of the alien queen and then just sort of worked themes backwards from there. Um, Cause yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing about Ripley in the first film that has anything to do with motherhood or being a mom or anything other than, I guess she like is a little maternal to the crew in in so much as like, she kind of bosses them around or whatever, treats them like children. Um, but I, even that's a stretch. So I, I, I'm, yeah, it definitely does seem like it came out of nowhere. And that's why I've always preferred the, the survival uh, concept more than the motherhood one. Yeah. I find that I, you know, I've always just really thought about the maternal theme and especially once you see that director's cut and you and you get that backstory of having a daughter, mm-hmm. it's really on the surface there. But once this idea of the sur- shared survivor trauma came around, I, I really enjoy. I, I, that's just such a, a much more fresh perspective, and it speaks to what we do know about, like what you're saying, Scott. We do know that Ripley went through trauma. Mm-hmm. We do see her as a victim of of. PTSD mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. She has to kind of break out of that shell. So all of that thematically makes a lot more sense. Um, it's more directly related to what we know about the character. Mm-hmm. Um, the maternal stuff is fine as a natural offshoot of the fact that she's placed with a child. I mean, there's a child and that, that's been traumatized and she's placed with her. Well, it's just going to kind of be a one-to-one connection, I guess, in most people's minds that, okay, she's being mother, she's being protective. And we wouldn't, I don't think we would write like Ripley very much if she wasn't mm-hmm. being protective and helpful of Newt. 
but that doesn't have to be the major reading. Um, but once you get this queen involved, like we've had introduced now in the last week of the show, it's hard not to make that connection really on the surface. Like, okay, he was making a big money movie about moms. Mm-hmm. And um, you might be right, Scott. He might have worked his way backwards, but I don't know. I, I'm choosing to go with the survivor thing as far as as why I connect or why I believe the connection between Newt and Ripley mm-hmm. uh, works better. It's just so much more fresh and interesting, but yeah. everybody has their reading on this. I like the queen thing. I do like the queen thing, the kind of par- the mirroring mothers. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. This whole film has a, because of Newt, um, has a little bit more warmth that we see from Ripley. And I feel like this makes me justify the score a little bit better. Um, which has a little bit more, which has a lot more warmth than Alien. Um, but we can talk more about the score later. This yeah. score definitely has a ton more warmth than the last film. I, I feel like Goldsmith is a very humanist composer. I feel like the music in Alien was definitely a director decision because Jerry, the Jerry Goldsmith wrote a lot more music than showed up in the film. Like what we see in the film is barely and is barely what Goldsmith intended. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you know, he, the director cut it all. They cut it all up. It um, they edited, you know, snippets from everything and put stuff together and even put in a new, a different person's theme for the closing. Like Jerry Goldsmith, I, f- I feel like he was kind of probably a little bit pissed afterward. Like my bar- my music's barely in this, so I feel like yeah, that was definitely a from the top decision. Yeah, I know he would have loved to put themes in there. Jerry Goldsmith is a sap too. Yeah, he did. There's some themes. There are things on that. I got that um, Mondo release of the Alien score that has the additional material on it, and so on. And it's it definitely feels a little warmer. The um, the yeah. uh, opening music, the cr- title music, was supposed to be a lot warmer. I'm glad it wasn't. Personally, I'm one that sides on Me the. Me too. I love the eerie, uh, atmospheric opening to Alien, but. Um, here we're dealing with, in Aliens, we're dealing with James Horner, who uh, won an Oscar for Titanic, for Christ's sake. So we know that he's got, in, in movies like Braveheart, we know he's got, he's more of a bigger bombastic kind of, uh, maybe I guess, I don't know. I, I'm trying to compare him to Jerry Goldsmith, and I just keep realizing that he shouldn't be compared to Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith was so many different things as a composer. I don't want to, uh, to, to like bottleneck him, but James Horner is certainly the guy, if you want to, Big bombastic action scenes, uh, Wrath of Khan, for instance, or this, he comes through. And I'm curious, though, I mean, I guess since we're talking about the music, I'm curious, what were the other parts of the score that you were saying um, are warmer, for instance, like as you described it? Well, first of all, uh, James Horner is the person you go to when you want to wear your heart on your sleeve. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think... Well, even just the opening theme, you know, he quotes um, a Cacciatorian piece, a very warm string string part. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. replicates it exactly. It's like a direct quote, basically, from that other piece. Um, that is such... It's <laughs> admittedly my favorite part of the score, and it's not <laughs> even his part, but, you know, it was well quoted. Um, and then just over the top... Um, you know, it's. I'm having a hard time describing it because it's not necessarily warmth as it is melody to hold on to. That's like what I'm talking about is parts that you can hum back 
which you can't when the score is more sound designy, like the last film. Mm-hmm. So this one has this movie has a lot more things where, where you, that you can hum. Basically, mm-hmm. that's all I'm saying. We'll get to one in a later minute. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I guess we could talk more about what happens in the minute as well here. Um, so we got Ripley and Newt are on the run. Um, we get some good fake Newt. We've already talked about fake Newt a little bit. Uh, we get some dummy Newt <laughs> as they're running down the uh, corridor here, which I always think is good. I, a very good dummy, by the way. It's not to be, I mean, it was absolutely yeah. necessary. There's no way they could ask Sigourney Weaver to carry a full-size child around all the time. Um, and it's a pretty good sell because, to be honest, uh, I didn't even hear about fake Newt until a few years ago. Like, I, I'd never even given thought to it, um, I think, until I finally oh. watched the commentary. Uh, so to me, I was just totally sold on these scenes every time and was lost in the scene. I didn't even notice, but they're running away and the queen is going to make her pursuit. And what does she do? This was always messed with my mind a little bit. She tears away from that egg sack, which I think is an interesting choice. It's every time I watch this movie. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Me too. It's, it's really great. Yeah, I'm with you. I remember the first time I watched this so much. We talked last week about when you first see her lay an egg, how disgusting that is. I was just like, oh, and then this was like, wow, really? Uh, it's a great moment because it shows this determination. Basically, she's like, you just killed all my children. Um, I guess probably her since her egg sac is pretty much destroyed by those grenades. It's of no use to her. And she's like, I'm coming to get you right now. But the funny thing is, is that... Does it make sense that this thing's like an appliance to her? I mean, it seems like the comparison we made last week, the the analog to insects, the insect world is closest to the termite. This is not something that a termite could ever do, right? The termite's basically just the big egg sack with a head. And this is kind of funny that she's just got this thing that's barely attached to her that seems to be her, you know... I don't know. Kind of her identity is I'm. I sit in this room and I uh, and I make these uh, eggs. But. It could be possible that she's not long for this world once she does that. Um, you know, like it. It it could be like a kind of like a final. You know, uh, you know, like a final beat of revenge. I guess um, is that she's willing mm-hmm. to sacrifice herself in a way to get revenge for uh, Ripley killing her children. Um, you know, like the way that a, when a bee stings you, like it stings you knowing that it's about to die but because it chose to do that. Um, it could be something like that, maybe. Uh, but in any event, it's I mean, it's it's absolutely vile. Um, <laughs> and and uh, it it definitely what what I do like about that moment, though, as, as weird as um, uh, as many questions as we may have biologically about it. uh uh, what I do like about it is the sort of, um, you know, every time Ripley, it seems, gets a win in this movie, she also gets a loss that comes with it. Uh, and and this is sort of like a good example of that. And, you know, and that continues on uh, through this, you know, this whole end sequence of this movie. It's like, OK, I'm going to blow up all the kids, but it's not going to kill the queen and she's going to come after me. <laughs> Um, it's going to make her even more angry. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, there's something about that that I like, uh, you know, alien biology aside. I suppose there is the, uh, we, we did discuss the, the meeting of the termite, like that they go on a, uh, what they call a nuptial flight. Initially they go out and mate with a bunch of male termites and then they go back to the, uh, 
um, hive. I'm forgetting if hive is the correct word for termites. And then that's where they just basically just lay 30,000 eggs a week <laughs> then for the rest of their life. Um, it could be that she does need to disconnect from this thing to do that. Like uh, maybe it's not that she's short long for the world or, or not long for the world, but that she does this repeatedly. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I just always thought it was funny that she could just shed this thing and run off. Uh, it seems like it should be more part of her like fixed anatomy, but uh, I, I don't know. It's just a, it's a good move though. It's a nice visceral moment for the movie. That's for sure. So nice. So, so nice. Uh, this is the lo- this is the longest minute ever. I'm just gonna put that out there. This is such a long minute, and it's actually really stressful for me to watch because of all the noises yeah. happening at once. Do you find the sound design not good? Do you find it like muddy or um, a little too chaotic, or do you think that that is what makes it work? I think it's appropriately chaotic, which and that the effect on me is probably intended (laughs) very stressful it's mostly underscore it's not you know it's it's the and then the it's the lights and the alerts and the yelling and the things falling it's wow wow and you know we're supposed to be obviously in ripley's shoes right and so we should feel as crazed kind of crazed as she is um here as uh she's got to be her mindset right here has to be complete and almost like pure panic as everything's exploding around her that she's being chased by this queen and when she gets to the elevator um i guess we could talk about that more tomorrow but how how she responds to the elevator situation uh is not as not very characteristic of ripley as we've seen her up to now but it's totally real so um the only other thing I wanted to point out about uh, the, the elevator is that she does, it's just a point of detail. She does punch both elevators or like beckon both elevators to come, which comes, which pays off later. Um, so I just wanted to point that out uh, uh, as far as just a point of detail. Also shout out to uh, the 80s rotoscoped uh, electricity lightning. <laughs> oh yeah. Always, always got to give a shout out to that. The oh Frankenstein. my gosh. Frankenstein lightning, yes. the Tesla coils. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like there's that one shot of them. It's like a, a bird's eye shot down the down the uh, stairwell there, mm-hmm. where it looks like it just about got them. And yeah. it made me wonder, like, does this have any? Would this have any effect on you, or is it just like general currents of electricity that might just kind of warm you a little as they zap through? Or would you, if you got hit by one of these bolts of lightnings, would it put you down? I don't know. I don't know. It just made me wonder, like, it's. I don't know how 80s lightning works. I mean, this is this is like 30s <laughs> lightning, right? Like this is the exact same lightning from Frankenstein, yeah. and then uh, carried over into the Terminator. Then borrowed, as we said a couple weeks ago, borrowed for the aliens. It's the exact same effect they used in Terminator. So, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how it works either. I would think that if it got you, it would get you pretty good. But uh, I don't know. I, I sometimes I feel like as I'm watching these minutes that it's a little overused, <laughs> but. In the moments that you're watching, you know, just as you're watching the movie and you're lost in the moment, it's it's a good effect. It just adds another layer of, um, you know, imminent explosion. Here, the, let there be no mistake about this. This place is about to explode. See the lightning? That that should let you know uh, that this place is about to go up. So it works fine. It's just kind of funny when you watch it minute by minute. You're like, God, more lightning? Wow, this is crazy. <laughs> More lightning and also vertical peril everywhere. Just 
elevators. I don't know if I'll ever see a sci-fi movie that doesn't have an elevator. <laughs> yeah. Elevators are great. Or like it's elevator. where it's like a part where, yeah, where it's part of an action scene and there's some, some stuff going down with the elevator. Um, always makes for a scary moment. I guess a lot of things could break. There's places you could fall. Claust- I get it. Claustrophobia. Oh, wow. um, you have to wait for them. The so thing. that's always a good suspense tool. Like, yep. And then they close and then, yeah, a lot of things. Will yeah. they close fast enough? Yeah. All that stuff. Elevators are great. They're, they're great movie tools for sure. Well, do you guys have anything else for this one? We can talk more about elevators tomorrow if you guys want to. No, I think that's all I got for this. Cool. Uh, Chrysanthi, you want to tell everyone where they can find you online? Oh, sure. You can find me all on social media at Chrysanthi Tan or chrysanthitan.com or Patreon, Chrysanthi Tan. And Scott? Uh, just go to duelinggenre.com. You can find all my podcasts there along with a multitude of other podcasts that uh, I host for uh that's a confusing uh, terminology. I am not the host, but I host their shows for them on the site. <laughs> You're like exec exec producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> and you could find us at alienminute.com on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast or on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. Um, also, big shout out to uh, Alex and Pete over at Star Wars Minute uh, for coming up with this concept for a podcast and loaning it off to us. Thanks again, guys, for that. All right, that'll do it for Minute 121. We'll see you tomorrow for 122.